All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to Footwork, a podcast for those who dream big, never settle, and make their own path. I'm Sean. And I'm Dylan. Together with guests, we share stories and tips every Monday to educate, inspire, and create a community built of soccer players and dream chasers. Better to have a short life that is full of what you like doing than a long life spent in a miserable way. Mile Corbos is a midfielder for SC Fair in the third Bundesliga. A 27-year-old from the USA, he's played for Maryland University, for the Red Bulls, in the USL, for MSV Duisburg, the Go-Ahead Eagles in Holland, and more. He brings a wealth of experience and insight into an amazing conversation. Enjoy. So, Maya Kobos, welcome to Footwork. I had to put a little accent on it. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm happy to, to, to be here and also I'm interested to hear about you guys as well. Awesome, thank you. Thank yeah. you. We're so, happy to have you. Now, yeah. our motto here at Footwork is to make your own path, meaning not follow, your, not follow the, the quote-unquote normal route, the nine-to-five office job. Find, do what fills you. Now, what does making your own path mean to you? Um, well, I think there are a lot of facets to it. I think I have uh, a lot of interests and I think making my own path, uh, can mean moving to Germany. Like you guys have, uh, not kind of fitting the mold of, okay, either you go college and then MLS or USL, but taking risks, trying things. I think that was when I came to Germany in 2016, it was kind of like the decision was, uh, all right, I have no guarantees, but worst case, uh, I signed a two-year deal back then. Worst case, I'll, for the rest of my life, I'll be able to say I lived in Germany for two years. Um, and I think that's also part of finding your own path is taking risks. Uh, I think that's the most valuable thing you can do, especially at a young age. Love that. We're off to a great start. We're going we're gonna to start with now. So we just want to know where you're at. If you can tell the people a little bit about yourself, maybe, you know, like the nice LinkedIn version. Um, and we'll <laughs> dive a little deeper into, into the story. Um, yeah, so now I am 27, turning 28 in a couple months, uh, playing for, I'll say it in, with a nice American accent, SC Verl, uh, in the third <laughs> division in, in Germany. Um, yeah, I've been in Germany since 2016, as I mentioned. Um, yeah, I, I decided this year, 2022, with, one of my goals was to start a company. Uh, I knew in which direction I wanted to go, but it didn't matter what the company was. The goal was to start a company, try things, iterate, uh, find out what works, what doesn't work, and then uh, move on and, and see what happens. I'm still in the phase where, yeah, the company could crash and burn any minute, it, which is, you know, then it is what it is. And next time I try something, then I'll be so much wiser. Um, yeah, so I don't know if I should already delve in real quick uh yeah, the company has started Please it's do. called 11 green mm -hmm. uh and the goal is uh to bring more environmental sustainability sustainability to um to sport clubs uh sports clubs here in first in germany um i had a project in the netherlands as well so that could be an interesting market but basically it was um noticing how little clubs at my level do. So I would say like smaller second Bundesliga clubs, third division clubs, basically all of them. Uh, fourth division clubs, you have uh, quite a few clubs that have a nice audience, a nice community, and they don't really um, even address the issue of, um, of our climate change or our environment at all. Um, 
and kind of taking a different approach to it and, and trying to show the clubs that um, it can be financially sensible to invest in sustainability or environmental sustainability. Um, and a lot of people kind of get scared to do that because uh, people, especially in Europe, are kind of uh, uh, have a certain view on pure capitalism and um, kind of uh, what that might entail. I think that if you can find, if you can marry both, if you can find a good mix of both, there's no better way to, to, to promote progress. Um, so I don't try to hide that aspect that um, clubs can save a lot of money or make a lot of money by being environmentally sustainable. I also think eventually the system will be set up that it'll incentivize environmentally responsible behavior. Um, so as we approach this limit, let's say it's the one and a half degrees Celsius or the two degrees Celsius, um, above pre-industrial revolution levels, uh, then the incentives will have to be, will grow exponentially. So we're approaching this limit and we're gonna realize, am I allowed to curse here? Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, like we're gonna realize <laughs> shit, like we gotta do something now. Um, and and then it'll be up to governments to, to put regulations into place, uh, pretty drastic regulations at some point. And so I kind of wanna show that like doing it now makes the most sense get a get a head start mm -hmm. there's also a whole marketing and sponsoring uh side to it that you can um as a club sponsors uh your community are starting to look to environmental sustainability um and so there's some sort of demand from the market uh so those are all just you know a bunch of different things that kind of led me to to believe that the timing is right um mm -hmm. yeah and uh, like I said, what, what, what a lot of clubs are missing is time and personnel. And so what 11 Green wants to do is kind of link all of these, um, I call them like sustainable solution providers um, in one place, do all the, the dirty work. So the whole organizational work and then basically present it nice and package it nicely for a club that they don't get scared of the financial implications or the, the time and organization they'll need to put in kind of do all that dirty work for them and kind of package it so that um, clubs are more ready to implement solutions that could make a real difference. Um, yeah. Do you find that that's the biggest obstacle is kind of how you present it to a club in order for them to receive it in the way that you intend? For sure. So um, in the clubs I've been at, there's nobody who's specifically responsible for this subject. Um, so you're talking, you're often talking to people who don't have that much background, background knowledge on the subject. Mm -hmm. Um, so what do they look at? They look at, they look at numbers. They want to know the financial implications. They want to know how much it's going to cost when, like, when is it going to pay off? Uh, why would they do this? So I always assume that they don't care about sustainability. Um, I try to, I try to appeal to the least common denominator and, um, show that it's a no brainer. So let's take LED lights, for example. Um, there's only about 10% of all fields or, or athletic facilities in Germany are, are have LED lights. And with LED lights, you could save 50% energy. Um, you have a payback period of like five years and you have a ton of subsidies here in Germany. And so my, my th thing is to show them it's a no brainer. Uh, you guys are missing an opportunity if you don't take advantage of the subsidies and you'll be saving 50% energy over a period of 10, 20 years. Um, so that's kind of my approach to it. The biggest obstacle going back to your question is really um, people 
they're overwhelmed by the amount of work that goes into it. Uh, they would have to organize an LED provider. They would have to schedule it. Um, <laughs> the whole subsidy side, you have, especially in Europe, you have a ton of paperwork, you have stuff like that you have to do. Um, and so it's a ton of time and that's just one solution. So imagine if all of a sudden you wanna do that, you wanna do LED, you wanna put um, solar panels on your stadium, you wanna implement a sustainable cup system or a sustainable packaging system on match day when you, have, when you sell concessions. Um, those are things that all take a ton of time. And a lot of time, the people who are trying to address these issues are, are that's not their, their main job. Um, and so it gets forgotten. It's a great idea, a lot of people think, but it gets forgotten because we don't have time. We have to win the next game on Saturday. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's kind of the stigma. I mean, that's kind of like the normality in, in the sport, sports world is um, you have to show short-term results and because of that, you have a tough time doing long-term planning or long-term thinking. Um, so then you have, to, you, have to, you have to cross that hurdle, you have to cross that obstacle and kind of do that dirty work for them, do the long-term thinking for them. Mm -hmm. And so how have you kind of used your background in soccer with the connections you've made to help expand this thought and this idea to bring it to as many people as possible? Um, so I, I, there are two sides to my background. There's obviously the soccer side from the clubs I've played at and the people I've met and the other players who are interested, who might, you know, I see it as like nodes. If you have like an important node, a guy that you used to play with who's been to even more clubs, then you can use that. You know, you, you have like this, you build this network um, and you try to, and that's kind of an issue I have to get over as well. I hate taking favors from people, but a lot of networking is like, um, asking people for things or, you know, mm -hmm. with the idea that they might one day get something in return, but um, using that network is really important. Um, the other side is like my background in what I studied at the University of Maryland. I studied mechanical engineering because I wanted to get into renewable energy. That was the goal. And then I was lucky enough to be able to play soccer and still play soccer, but that technical background kind of allows me to understand some more technical concepts and maybe communicate them better when I'm speaking to clubs. And then you have the whole networking aspect where I might be able to get my foot in the door at a club more easily than, um, than some random uh, consulting service who normally works with day-to-day -day businesses. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's also, I mean, it's a fascinating blend too, because I'm, I'm sure they're not coming across many players um, that have that mechanical engineer background yet you've played at a very high level uh, consistently. And now you're, yeah, you're, you're an experienced player, but also you have experience in this field. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a, a really interesting blend that for yeah. one will catch the eyes of clubs of, of these people. And you have a bit more, you're coming into the conversation with a bit more respect. Yeah, I, I'm always careful with that because especially in Germany at the end of the day, when you're talking to business people or technical people, there's a stigma to, to what a soccer player is. Mm -hmm. um and uh one you have to show them that you're not the typical uneducated european soccer player because sometimes that is true not always but sometimes that is true and um you also have to show them that you're not just a figure you know you're not just an image like it, it sells a nice story to say the soccer player the professional soccer player developed this um a little bit less so in the third division if I was a Bundesliga player, then it would really look like you just have like a figurehead, like a face to the project and not necessarily 
much content behind yeah. the face. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so those are the two things. I think it's different in the US, but in Germany, at least you really have to get over those uh, those two things. Mm-hmm. And you kind of mentioned when, when we first started talking about Eleven Green, um, this possibility of failure and also you just saying, okay, I wanted to make it this year. I'm going to make it this year. Um, I think a lot of us want to start things, want to start businesses, want to start things like this. What tips would you give those to just do it, just to get the plan in order and to to make it happen and and see where it goes? Yeah, um, it's it sounds really easy, but I would say just start. I mean, the amount I've learned, uh, I've learned from just starting. Uh, so the idea I've had for two years. So I have to say I had a problem just starting. Uh, I've had the idea for two years, and I kind of toyed with the idea, and I was like, oh, I don't know. You know, I was always worried that. Um, I wasn't even worried if I if my career would suffer from it. I was worried at about what other people would think of me as soon as I had a bad game. So when you play bad, I was worried for a while about people being like, "Hey, he's not concentrated," mm-hmm. uh, because that's not it at all. Um, I'm not like that. I can I I know I can do both um, to a certain extent, obviously. But um, yeah, so I, I toyed with the idea for two years. So that means you, you play with the idea in your head and you kind of prepare yourself, you educate yourself on the subject. Um, so I would say you really have to deeply know your subject before you just start. But I think there was so much learning in just starting, like starting a company in Germany, the whole bureaucratic paperwork, the whole steps, it took an absurd amount of time. Um, <laughs> it, it was never ending. And um you know, just, just that process, I learned a lot. And then you learn a lot uh, through LinkedIn, networking with companies. Uh, what do they look for? What kind of people do you meet? Um, I still always say on LinkedIn, like, uh, just um, just reach out, you know, let's have a talk. If it doesn't work, if we can't do a partnership, no big deal. At least, I mean, I think we learn from every talk. Um, so I think that's, that's also important is always, you know, be confident, but don't be arrogant. So always be ready to have these talks and kind of learn from the people. Uh, I've learned so much from from pointless conversations, like uh, companies who would want to uh, work together. And I'm like, this does not work. But you also get like a viewpoint of a person who's running a company. You also get a viewpoint of a person who's running a company in sustainability. And so you kind of build this, you kind of paint this whole picture of like your audience and also the people you have to work with. Um, and I think that's that's a big thing. Like I, <laughs> accepting that I know basically nothing, and I have everything to learn is uh, really empowering. But uh, to go back, I think that would be just start and be open to learning. If you just start and you're not open to learning, trust me, you'll quit right away. Um, so you have to accept that it's a learning process. Um, and as I told you before, I've accepted like this. This might fail. Um, I'm fortunate that I don't have the existential threat of my company failing and me having financial issues. Um, so that's a privileged position. I'm aware of that as well. Um, but I think that also gives me a bit more freedom um, to kind of go the, the right way or what I think is the right way. Yeah, that's great advice. I mean, getting over the first the fear of failure also I mean, you mentioned you kind of glossed over it, but the the scapegoat and and you are the captain of your team. I mean, that is a real thing that 
clubs could look at you and be like, hey, you're not concentrating on the team. You know, you had one bad performance. It's clearly because you're trying to start a business. This is, you know, in their head, I can think. And I think, first off, did that ever happen? Or was this just something? You know, um, so I made a conscious decision last year. We were in a, <laughs> we were in the relegation battle when I started the company. And I wanted to have a clear separation of church and state. I wanted to have a clear separation of my company and my club. And so I didn't even mention it to them until, um, yeah, at the time I also, I had uh, deactivated my Instagram for a year and everything. So there was no way of anyone ever finding out. And I kind of hit a point, we saved ourselves. We stayed in third division and um, I brought my Instagram back kind of to use the audience to promote 11 Green because I'm, I'm well aware that that is also a tool that you can use mm -hmm. to your advantage. It's also a very dangerous tool. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm, I still, as a result, spend too much time on Instagram again. And mm -hmm. I'm kind of trying to figure out how can I stop doing that? Um, so uh, I didn't tell the club until the beginning of this season through my Instagram, there was an article that was gonna come out. And I was like, before you guys find out that I'm doing something next to my main job, uh, I told the club and, you know, I'm lucky that it's a club that's super accepting. And um, for example, yesterday I was in Berlin at the uh, sustainability forum from the German Federation, and I was allowed to do that and not go to training. You know, I spoke to my coach and he was open about that. Uh, it would have been different, I think, if we had a, uh, a game this weekend, but it's still he could have said, like, dude, what are you doing? Just mm -hmm. come to training and stop doing your trash you know um that wasn't the case so I'm, I'm very fortunate in that sense but originally the plan was to keep it away from my day job mm -hmm. um now i'm seeing that i mean we, we've started the season and um i'm curious to see how how what what the you know what the viewpoint on it is if if stuff doesn't go so well during the mm -hmm. season uh, right now, everything's great, and I can work with the club and kind of use the club to promote 11 Green. Um, but I'm curious to see what happens if if the season's not going too well. Uh, so that's yet to be determined. But I have to say, at the beginning, it was um, a conscious decision not to mix the two. Mm -hmm. And before we transition a little bit more into the soccer side of your journey, um, is there anywhere that people can read or find out more about 11 Green or participate follow in any way yeah so we have um an instagram page <laughs> 11 green official um we don't post too much content there but um just you are know, you in charge we... of that or do you delegate that um my girlfriend has experience doing um content stuff for other companies so mm -hmm. she we kind of she does most of the work on the instagram level um and then uh our website 11green.eu we have we have a blog on there and we kind of we post in german and in english kind of like um updates on our viewpoint on on sustainability on certain subjects that are hot topics at the time uh it also i mean you can also go through it and see what kind of service we uh, provide and what the goal is i think it's also important to have like an identity a strong identity and some core values so that's what we kind of try to convey on the website Otherwise, LinkedIn, if uh, some young soccer players are in LinkedIn, they can check out. Uh, there's always some interesting articles and comments and stuff on LinkedIn. So uh, you can find us basically anywhere at 
11 green instagram is 11 green official uh linkedin i think you just need to type in 11 green one word and um website 11green.eu footwork.club is now live the official footwork website where you can find all the footwork content including some new features that's right along with our podcasts and guests you can find exclusive written articles including blogs about our own stories free products that can help with chasing the dream as well as our first official merch all that and more so join the club we uh we talked a little bit off camera just about being a captain and being a foreign captain. Um, I mean, there's pressure involved as a captain already, but I think there's a little, maybe a little added uh, coming from another country, you know, of course, mastering or at least knowing the language good enough to be able to lead uh, the responsibility and also the balance of leading, but being one of the boys, being one of the guys in the, in the locker room. How do you approach that and how do you keep that balance? Yeah, that's, um, it's a it's a learning process um so last year um i mean we always have a really young team and so that was a big uh i'm not the type of guy who doesn't talk to anyone in the locker room i like cracking jokes i like messing around too and as a captain you have to keep a certain distance to the team without being too distant and so that's the biggest uh that's the biggest balance um that i try to play with because if you're too close to guys and when it's time to crack down on them, they don't take you seriously. If you're too distant, then you're seen as a part of the coaching staff and not necessarily a, as a part of the team. Um, so that's really uh, got to like have a have a feeling for that. Uh, I, I don't necessarily have the perfect feeling yet, but I, I think I've gotten much better in the last year. Also, this idea of like fundamentally putting yourself at the service of the team, uh, whether that's talking to uh, the club or the coach about sentiments within the team, or if that's um, really putting your individual case like in, in the background. And that's something I, I had to learn in my first season too. We had a, a different coach last season at the beginning of the year, and um, we had a weird dynamic, me and him. He made me captain, but I didn't feel like a captain the way he handled me. and. Uh, really early in the season, he put me on the bench, even though I wasn't necessarily playing poorly. Um, and those weeks or the, that week, um, I was, I was a bad captain. I was, um, I was showing people that I was pissed off and that I felt like, uh, this was unfair and that's not the job of a captain. And, uh, in hindsight, I recognize that much more easily. It's obviously difficult when it happens. Um, but I think that's something you can only learn with experience and kind of seeing like <laughs> looking back and being like, damn, I was a terrible teammate last week. And <laughs> that makes me feel worse than being a good teammate and not playing. So um, stuff like that to learn is, is yeah, is um, takes time. Um, and then the disciplinary stuff, like I said, we have a really young team and we have guys doing nonsense every day. Uh, and you really have to crack down on them. And at some point you don't want to do it. You're, you're sick and tired of doing it, but, but you have to. And the other point is like, you're not like, you cannot connect to that much when you're only like the guy setting the rules and stuff like that. So it's all just a balance really of uh, 
between two extremes and kind of finding the most successful middle way. Brilliant advice. Um, and yeah, there, I mean, there's more to, to being a captain than just being on the field. It's a lot of the outside stuff that actually is the most yeah. difficult, um, even dealing with the media. And, and like you said, finding a balance of the disciplinarian, but you also are their teammate. You know, you want to have yeah. fun too, but you have to draw the line or else chaos will surely ensue. Or less that. chaos, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But um, uh, sorry, I didn't touch on the whole foreigner captain thing. But um, as I told you before the show, like I think the American mindset kind of makes us good candidates to be captain. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I do not feel any type of um, any type of unfair yeah, unfairness from the fans or from the club uh, because I'm not German. Uh, I'm probably, uh, that, that's probably a, a product of the fact that I'm in a smaller club in the third division. If I was in one of the bigger ones, who knows, maybe that would be an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't, I can't say, but right now that's not at all an issue. Do you think that may come down to how you embrace the club or at least the culture or German football, learning the language, you kind of embrace that instead of, you know, being maybe a typical American who stays in their ways, doesn't learn the language and, you know, doesn't embrace the culture. Yeah, for sure. As I mentioned, I think you have to master the language first. Um, I think that's important for the players, for the club, because you kind of represent the club. Um, And it's also, that was my feeling when I moved to Germany and in between when I went to the Netherlands, it's kind of like a, a sign of respect for the culture that you show that you uh, you respect their culture. You're a guest here in their country, uh, and then you have to conform to their standards or their norms. And that, I mean, one of the bigger things is learning the language as fast as you can. It's also a positive. I mean, it helps you as a player to integrate more quickly. Um, so I think those things are are huge. And how did you do that? How did you learn the language so quickly? Or what did you do to learn the language as fast as possible? Yeah, so German's tough. I'm sure you guys know that. It is grammatically completely different. Um, uh, it, it took a while. The first six months, uh, everyone spoke to me in English. Our coach in Duisburg back then did not speak English. So that was, that was tough. That was a tough time. Uh, the thing is, as I slowly started picking up um, German, uh, the players kept speaking to me in English. So that kind of delayed my progress. And about a year and a half in where I could already speak pretty fluent German, I changed clubs. And when I got there, I only spoke German. And so the guys only speak German back. And that kind of accelerated the process of how I learned. Um, about two years in, I decided I wanted to do my master's in Germany. You know, as a, as a soccer player, you have a lot of free time. And so I wanted to do my master's, and one of the requirements as a foreigner, you had to do a, uh, you had to do like a, uh, you had to take a German course for a couple months. So I did do a course, but that was two years in where I already spoke the language, and that was more of a formality. Um, I, I think one of the key things going back was like I think three, four, no, yeah, four or five months into my time in Germany, I met my girlfriend, who's German. And so that kind of helped, you know, whenever you have a question, there's someone right there and you're like, what is this? Mm. How do you spell this? Or Mm -hmm. what's this translation? Um, Mm. So that definitely was a big factor in me learning German. Now you have a French passport. Do you have uh, any way with any other languages like French or anything? And how did that come? 
Yeah, so I speak, I have a French passport because my parents are both French. Um, so I was born in the US, but my parents are French. Uh, got French citizenship because of that, I think naturally. Yeah, pretty sure I was born with French citizenship. Yeah, um, and automatically with American citizenship because I was born in the US. Um, so yeah, I grew up speaking French at home and speaking English in school. So um, fluent in English, uh, obviously, <laughs> and uh, in French as well. It seems awesome. it does seem like you're fluent in English. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and um, I I had Dutch going for a little bit. I could still mm -hmm. understand Dutch, but speaking is really uh, difficult for me. When you were well, there, when you were there in Holland, were you learning the language? They were giving you yeah, lessons, yeah. or yeah, we had um, a really nice guy. I'm still in touch with him. He actually did it. He volunteered his time and would teach the foreigners of the club. Um, it would, we would have private Dutch lessons. Mm -hmm. So that was, uh, that was really cool. Yeah. So bringing it way back now, um, you kind of grew up within the Red Bulls Academy playing there a bit. Um, yeah. How did that shape you? And, and how did that kind of bring your desire and passion into going pro? Um, well, so I, I, I played with Red Bull, I think, just the last year before college. So I think okay. it was U18. Back mm -hmm. then it was academy. I think there's no academy anymore, right? I, I don't even know, to be honest. Yeah, sure exactly. I don't know either. Um, but before that, I was with a club called NJSA. Um, mm -hmm. I think they became Cedar Stars. Cedar I think so, yeah. It could mm -hmm. be, yeah. But yeah they, were, and, they were around and, when we were around. Yeah, exactly. We're the same um, age as you. Yeah? Yeah. Yep. Okay, mm -hmm. we might have played nice against each other. Nice revelation each other. halfway into the episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe we played against each other. I don't know. 100% we did. Yeah. yeah. And so I, um, my coach was Tab Ramos. And so that was like, that was probably my biggest early influence in wanting to become pro. I mean, he played in Spain, uh, played in Mexico, then came to the U.S. I mean, came back to the U.S. for the opening of the MLS in 96. So he was kind of like a legend, especially in New Jersey, um, where there are quite a few legends who grew up there, but he was uh, a big influence in that. And he kind of like instilled in our whole team, actually, like this, this idea of like how far you can come with hard work. And he would tell us stories about how he used to train. And um, that was, uh, I think that was a big influence on me. And that got me to work even harder. And um, then going to Red Bull, uh, everything became more professional. So you show up, there's a team set up that's really good. Uh, we didn't win the national championship. That was the year after us, but um, we were still good. Um, and we, you know, every training was intense. We used to get in fights <laughs> over losing training games. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, it was really, I remember going home if I had lost and being livid, like being seriously pissed off because it, it's it's like this, jungle of egos and you can't lose in training and in the games it was exactly the same thing um so red bull didn't really have such an identity back then as it does now with like pressing and uh high tempo and and going forward as i mean you know going forward as quickly as possible but it, it i learned a lot in terms of um uh working more professionally being in like a super competitive environment and that's something that continued when i um First, I went to Rutgers, but then especially when I went to, to Maryland, that I, I, I saw exactly that at the college level again. So it was like Red Bull at college level with even better players. 
And that was also a huge learning experience. Um, just being in that environment and kind of growing out of it. Uh, I went to Maryland from Rutgers where I kind of could have done, I, I was like, I could have, I was a captain as a sophomore and I thought I was the man. And then you go to Maryland. And I remember I transferred in the winter and um, the first training, training sessions, I was like, damn, am I going to play here? Like, what the fuck, <laughs> what am I doing here? <laughs> and then like how quickly you pick up the speed and you learn and you develop is quite impressive. And just being in these competitive environments, just, I think just pushes growth because you either grow or you, or you sink. And mm-hmm. that's kind of, you know, the hard truth to that sort of competition. Mm-hmm. Um, but to your question, Red Bull, then uh, in the summers I would play for Red Bull, then they had developed this identity of pressing, pressing, pressing and everything. And um, I think that definitely had an effect on, on the way I play now too, super high energy, a lot of, uh, you know, kind of this idea that defend going forward, uh, just go to the next guy. I remember my first few months at Red Bull, Jesse Marsh uh, <laughs> stopping trainings to tell me, uh, don't pass the ball sideways, you know, play the ball forward. Even if it's a 50, 50, if we don't win the 50, 50, we all move forward and we, you know, we win the ball up there. Uh, And that was something different for me. Uh, And also this pressing idea of just go to the guy on the ball. Don't give him time. If the guy behind you is sleeping and they pass around you or something, he it's his fault, but your job is go to the the ball carrier, uh, put him under pressure, stress him. um, So that, that whole identity, what, you know, they now have in Leipzig and in, in New York and in Salzburg um, was uh, was definitely interesting because it was different mm-hmm. and also kind of did shape me uh, for, for now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a few things there that I would love to touch on. One is the this idea and this theme of learning on the fly. And it seems like it may have come up a bunch throughout your career. Cause when you go to different places, you know, you come to Germany for the first time, there may be some tactical adjustment adjustments and training, and, you know, you may get pressure from the guys or from the coach. And it's important to be able to analyze, learn on the fly and then correct yourself right there. And then have you had to do this a lot of times in your career? Yeah. I mean, for sure. I think any player does, I think whether they do it consciously or subconsciously, it happens. Um, and sometimes you don't do it right. When I first came to Germany at Duisburg, uh, I was in a team that was in first place in the third division and I signed late in the summer and I didn't play. Uh, and first you drop into this hole of like, damn, I'm not important for this team. How can I like, you know, how do you show yourself? How do you play with confidence when you know you're not going to play on the weekend? Um, and so that's where I didn't do well in terms of learning on the fly. I think eventually I came out of that hole and kind of became a better player and uh, stronger mentally. Um, but um, yeah, that, that was also a process. So it's not always learning on the fly. It's also making mistakes on the fly. And eventually uh, I guess through that, those mistakes learning, um, but you don't know, you don't always go up here. You can, you can fall into those holes in such a competitive environment. And that's definitely happened to me as well. Um, but learning on the fly, I think, uh, there's a, there's like a nice analogy to like muscle memory. And uh, I think, you know, like guys like Steph Curry, you know, they do their whole, like, or Kobe Bryant back in the day, they do their, their drills with the ball and this idea of that your body can, or your, you can subconsciously develop this muscle memory and moves or, or certain movements come out automatically in the game. 
I think that's also an analogy to learning on the fly of kind of being in this environment and you subconsciously iterate, iterate, and you adjust and you iterate and you see uh, how you can get out of a problem. And that's like a pretty nice parallel, I think, um, mm. in uh, just, just doing things. Like I said, taking risks, learning, redoing, <laughs> re-risking, and then, you know, that whole process is quite interesting. Mm. It ties into entrepreneurship as well. Like that whole, you know, there's so many parallels in that sense. Mm. And how important is confidence in this, in this whole umbrella? I mean, keeping that confidence when you might mess up or fail or have fear um, to know that you're good enough in these situations to try again and to do better the next time. Yeah, it's huge. Um, I think you, you both probably know when, um, when I look back at games where I wasn't confident and then I look back at games where I'm confident, it's like watching two different players. And you could be whoever you want. And some guys deal with it better than others, but everyone knows how it feels. Uh, so having confidence um, is huge. And there are ways to kind of mitigate the highs and lows um, by preparing, um, okay, what happens in the worst case scenario and the biggest stress scenario? What do you fall back on? You fall back on like your foundational beliefs on how you want to play soccer or, you know, your philosophy of, uh, of, of how you want to live. Um, and those fundamental things have to be strong because when shit hits the fan, that's what you fall back on. And that's kind of, you know, you fall back to those, that foundation. So how can you build up that foundation to be strong here and not here so that when you fall down, you're here, you're at a pretty good level. Um, uh, again, I haven't mastered that at all. Like I look at games, even last season where I'm like, damn, you let the pressure of relegation get to you. Um, and you didn't play your game. You didn't play the way you know you can. Uh, so stuff like that is, um, confidence is huge. And it's a process uh, learning mentally how you can deal with, there will be moments where you're less confident. I'm just gonna turn on the light real quick. Um, where you're less confident, um, but, but you have to find techniques and ways to deal with that. Mm. Do you find that there's anything that you may do in a lead up to a game or pre-game, any type of things, habits, tendencies that, that may help with this process or that you've noticed help with this process when you look back and say, okay, I was confident during this game. I was playing my, I was playing my style. Yeah. I think it, it goes back a lot to being centered, to be to being centered on those core values. And so something I started a while ago um, was meditation and I don't, um, I don't believe in doing anything special on game day because I think you should live every day as if it was game day. That seems, that sounds super cliche and bad, but <laughs> sometimes, I would hate sometimes to... we love cliches though. I mean, sometimes they just work, but, but for me, it was more like, don't build up game day to be something more mm. than it is. Uh, that was maybe a way for me to mitigate the pressure. Uh, don't make it something too spectacular. Um, kind of just keep doing, keep plugging away. And so meditation is a way for me to stay centered on who I am. It's really easy these days with like a good game, Instagram, people texting you to think like you're something you're not. And so who are you really internally and finding that out or having, you know, going through that process is for me something I did in part due to meditation and something that kind of, uh, yeah, make, made me in that sense more of who I am mm -hmm. and not who other people want me to be. Mm -hmm. um, if that makes sense. 
Yeah. yeah, absolutely. How did this come about where you kind of found that this is what works best for you at the moment? This is what works best for you. Um, I, so I, I, I don't know. I listen to a bunch of podcasts and everything. I'll going back to college. This is like 2000, uh, 2013, 14. And you always heard about back then, like meditation is coming mm-hmm. up big. And this is, this is like unlocking your, your key performance. So I started doing it because I wanted to perform better, um, which is fundamentally backwards. <laughs> meditation, there shouldn't be a goal to meditation. It's, you know, or there could be a goal, but it shouldn't be uh, perform. You know, I don't know. There's something twisted about doing meditation yeah, yeah, to, 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 mm-hmm. to enhance your performance. But that was how I started. And so at Maryland, for example, I remember I used to only meditate before games because I was like, okay, now you're ready to go. It was more of a superstition. Mm-hmm. I wasn't really getting the real effect. And until I kind of implemented that um, on a daily basis, I would say that was 2018. Uh, every morning, it could be, could be three minutes, could be 20 minutes. Uh, there are some days where it's better than others, but just having that moment, and sometimes you get in the zone quicker than other days where you feel like, okay, yeah, I'm at peace. And uh, you can kind of prioritize everything in your head of uh, what's really important, what's not. Uh, where are you getting caught up in in just noise, basically? It's really mm-hmm. easy to get caught up in noise. And how do you stay centered, as I mentioned? Um, and I slowly started figuring out that this was quite important because even through bad games and good games, um, I could deal with it better. And that's also been a huge issue after mm-hmm. bad games being like, it's okay. No, <laughs> I used to go if I played a bad game and we lost or something, my week would be terrible. My week sucked. Um, And recognizing, being centered, recognizing that it's a whole process and that it's not perfect kind of puts everything in perspective. Mm. I really appreciate that because I feel like it can be tough to put into words exactly what meditation can do. And I feel like that's a very good... um, analyzation of the areas where it can help and how it can feel clear sometimes or it can fear feel a little bit cloudy or you can prioritize in your head i feel the days when i'm not meditating myself or there are some you know outside stresses or anxieties that are coming into me i can't in my head put why i feel a certain way but when i can be centered and have these meditation practices and stuff i can start to verbalize what this is and then that makes it much easier to approach or to face head on or to put it to the side yeah exactly i think um there's some interesting techniques within meditation that help do exactly that and i think it comes down to prioritizing like at the end of the day where we have a certain pressure because we're americans in germany and we're here to play soccer Mm -hmm. Um, but we're also in a privileged position that at the end of the day we're playing soccer (laughs) exactly and not not fighting to survive at its most uh, basic level Um, you mentioned um, making the switch in college uh, transferring Um, I think this is just another area of a key decision where it can be tough for especially a young athlete or a young person in general to make you know you said that you were captain your sophomore year you felt very comfortable comfortable probably you felt like the man but how did you know that this would be the right opportunity opportunity for you 
and what kind of goes into your decision-making process? Um, yeah, so basically what it came down to is um, the Rutgers men's soccer program hadn't lived up to what I or the program probably expected in those first two years. Um, and I had played pretty well or had stood out enough to get opportunities like Maryland and Georgetown. And so at that point, after two years, um, it became like a decision, okay, you want to go pro, then you have to take these types of types of opportunities. And um, it's obviously a risk because you don't know what can happen. You go to a new team, you could not play at all. And then there's no chance you're going pro. Um, but you have to measure yourself to, to the best guys and you want to be in those environments. And so that was kind of the thought process. The, the thing was when when I transferred, um, it was between Maryland and Georgetown. And the, the difference there was actually academic. Uh, Georgetown didn't have an engineering program. And as I mentioned, like I was big on, I wanted to do my engineering program. Uh, so it ended up being Maryland, but um, I think either of those choices would have been great. Um, Certainly. So. And um, coming into Maryland, did you have, you said when you first got there, the, the, the level was significantly higher than Rutgers. Um, is, there, is there a correlation to, I mean, in college, it's a little different because you're, you're not, you're, you've signed the contract. When you go there, you're on the team, you know. Mm -hmm. But when you first went on trial at Duisburg, was there this, these adjustment periods, um, was it kind of the first time in your experience jumping into a tune maybe at red bulls you you experienced this as well where you weren't at the level at the moment but you had to adjust quickly and you did indeed adjust yeah i think the first time that happened was um i mean besides like being a young 16 17 year old and once in a while training with the first team at red bull mm -hmm. that was a big jump that i wasn't mm -hmm. ready for but that's not really you know day in day out so that doesn't really count the first time that really happened was probably that, like I said, that winter at, Mar at Maryland, where the spring season really, like, I did not play that well. And I think more was expected of me. Um, and then the fall season was a completely different. It was the opposite. I outperformed what had been expected of me. And that was, I don't know if that is coincidence, because I, I uh, you know, there's a, there's a great book, actually, by... Uh, uh, Nassim Taleb called Fooled by Randomness and how much randomness actually plays a part in super important things in our life. And I like to think like, especially in soccer, you see it a lot too. If the ball falls one way or another, it's the difference between you having I don't know, a goal or, you know, losing a game. Um, and over a season, you see it a bunch of times where guys like have an outstanding season and it's almost random, but because of that, it kind of shapes a career. Um, and so this idea, I went to Maryland and my spring season wasn't really wasn't good. And uh, I, I precisely remember the moment in the fall season where kind of things started going my way. We had um, we hadn't started well. Uh, and Maryland's always like you're supposed to make the final four. <laughs> uh, we hadn't started well. And I remember there was like a, a decision we were going to play. Davidson? Could that be? I think that it is an Ohio team, so maybe, yeah. Yeah, we were going to play against them on a Wednesday. And for the first time, our coach, Sasha, was thinking about not starting me. 
And I remember he spoke to our captain at the time, Dan Metzger, who I had played with throughout my whole youth and had asked him like, yeah, okay, what's the deal? Like, what are we doing? Uh, and we actually changed the formation so that I could fit in a better role. And I ended up scoring, we won one zero. And from then on, like that was my first goal this season. That was in early October. And I scored 10 goals as midfielder that year. And that's like the point where things just started falling my way. And then you're firing on all cylinders. You have confidence out of nowhere, you know, really out of nowhere. And so a lot of the time it's like, there's just this randomness. Uh, so Maryland was the first time where I was like, okay, I'm not at the level. And I did adjust. Uh, I, I adjusted long-term. So that shows me that I did have the level. I just wasn't performing at that level at the beginning, but the turning point was quite random. Uh, so recognizing things like that is always, uh, I think refreshing, or it gives you a certain amount of perspective. Then I went to Duisburg and I did well enough in, in the trial to get a contract, but then the season started and I fell in, I guess I fell in this hole um, and I wasn't good enough. Uh, and by the time I recovered, it was too late. Like I was already, I had already been written off. Um, so those were the two main times where I was like, okay, yeah, uh, you either swim or you sink. And one mm -hmm. time I swam and the next time I sunk, but I was able to rise again at a different club. And I think that's also a big thing is a lot of the times the guy who makes it is the only one who didn't quit. When I look back mm -hmm. at guys who I had played with in my youth or even in college who were better than me and mm -hmm. who just quit after the first, you know, hardship. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. um, I had thought about after Duisburg, I had thought about moving back to the U.S., going USL, or even just quitting because I was really sick of it. Um, and I didn't. And I said, okay, let's do one more experience. And that experience changed everything. Had a good year, went to Holland, played well there. And now I'm in third division as a captain, where my first season in Germany, I was in third division, not playing a minute. Um, and so that's... Uh, I guess that's my story in a nutshell, but yeah. also this idea that you could sink and swim. Yeah. Um, and if you sink, then yeah, you just have to keep going somehow. You, yeah. have to keep, you know, you have to try again and that's yeah. fine. Absolutely. And I think it's also comes down to knowing when to take a step back, to take a step forward. Yeah. It's that not always that the failure defines you forever. And I'm sure maybe it felt like that, like you kind of mentioned at Doisburg. Um, coming in you know you did well on the trial but then you you're not making the teams or getting the confidence from the coaches and and being the player that you can be but then knowing when you take the next contract which was in the regional league right was with Battenscheid exactly yeah. yeah so taking a step back to then go ahead and take a step forward yeah yeah that was huge and um that was huge because I took the step back originally just to, to have fun playing again I was like, damn, I haven't had fun in a year and a half. Uh, I just want to, you know, kick around again and have the feeling that I'm important somewhere and <laughs> kind of find a reason for me being in Germany. That was also a big theme. Um, yeah, and uh, that ended up happening slower than I wanted it to, but it ended up happening. And this idea of um, having this sort of failure it does affect you mentally. You have to like, you have to get back over that hurdle. Once, you, I mean, you, there's a stigma behind, like they call people losers, but there is a little bit of truth behind that. If you get used to failing, um, the hurdle to get over that and be successful again is even bigger. Um, 
So that was a mental thing that was subconsciously in my head after my time in Duisburg was like, hey, you're not that good. <laughs> you were kind of like for a year and a half, I was the guy in Duisburg who was in Duisburg, but who didn't play. And so there's like this mental hurdle that like it has to click at some point, like, oh no. And it comes through maybe a, a training session where you're like really good. And you're like, oh no, I, I, I am good. It's kind of, you know, it's a shame that I haven't shown it more often, but I know I have this in me. And so that kind of, that hurdle, this mental hurdle, it goes back to confidence, but um, it also has to do with thinking positively, thinking negatively. Like once you've had a big failure, it is hard to kind of overcome that. There's a mental side to convincing yourself almost that you're more than that failure. That's tough. And do you feel like that came during your time uh, away coming back into the fourth tier? Or did you feel that sometimes like in training in Duisburg and then, you know, you just knew you had to, to get that experience to get back to where you belong? Yeah, even if there were some sessions where in Duisburg where I was like, yeah, too bad. Like you are pretty good actually. <laughs> you're still, at the end of the day, you're still a guy who's there and who doesn't play. Um, and maybe I was young and not far enough to kind of differentiate what other people think and what I think of myself. Um, but then going to Wattenscheid um, and proving that I could be important. And um, I think my, I was there for a year and a half, my, my second season. So the full season I was there um, was kind of like me really putting my blinders on and like, I don't care about anything else. Like don't, you know, uh, I'm not gonna spend any time on negative energy. I'm here to play a whole season, do all of my work, do the hard work that comes with that and get out, get back to my level. And that's was, that was in a way a bet because uh, you kind of have to like shut the lights on a lot of things in your life or, or a lot of thoughts in your head. And it, it worked out for me. I'm sure there are guys it didn't work out for and that must be even more difficult, but unfortunate. I think every time I had a setback, I kind of got a lucky break after. Um, and so I do recognize I've been fortunate in that sense. What kind of things were you shutting out? I mean, you, you said negative energy and kind of putting the blinders on. What kind of specific things were you not giving time and energy to to focus more on football? Yeah. It's, it's kind of like there are mental games. There are ways to, um, uh, you can build a story in your head about yourself and use maybe a third person to kind of get yourself uh, artificially confident, so to speak. There was a lot of that. There was a lot of... Um, listening to music that I uh, normally wouldn't listen to and kind of like turning into a different person before a game, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, I think that really did help me in that season. Um, kind of artificially becoming the guy I was in college who was um, maybe a bit of an asshole at times, but it gave me that bite, <laughs> excuse me, that bite, that little extra um, percent um, it has to do with ego too. Mm -hmm. It has to do with looking at the guy across from you and being like, you're in for a rough one today, buddy. Um, <laughs> and, uh, there was a lot of, um, artificial arrogance in that mindset, but there are mental games where you can kind of throw yourself into a third person and escape your own negativity by creating a persona that is untouchable. There are, there are a bunch of things like, you know, mm -hmm. I used to, I, I, I've actually not been good at it recently because I don't have enough time. I used to write in, in a journal every morning. And on game days, you can look back and read the text. It's like 
it's like as if I was trying to motivate myself using like certain words um, that would kind of build up this aura around myself for myself. Uh, super weird, deep That's world. Fascinating. That, yeah, it is. I mean, um, it's like sports psychologist. I mean, it's a thing. It's not. Yeah, yeah. I, it's I worked absolutely with a, sports, a field. Yeah, I worked with at Maryland. I was fortunate enough to work with a sports psychologist who helped me a lot. And I didn't, uh, maybe I did get that from him, but also listening to a ton of podcasts, uh, Finding Mastery from uh, Michael Gervais. I don't know if you guys know the podcast. Mm-hmm. He's a sports psychologist. So. And, uh, listening yeah. to his stuff was really good. Um, back then, I used, used to only listen to stuff like that because I wanted to figure out how can I, I knew that I had a certain potential in me and I, I haven't unlocked that potential. I still have this feeling a lot today, but um I just felt like it was such a shame if I didn't reach that potential. If I didn't get back to a level I was okay with. Uh, and so I was doing a ton of research on the side to see how I can unlock the mental aspect of the game because I know that was the only thing that was kind of holding me back and probably still is holding me back a little bit. Mm-hmm. We, um, we've talked about it a few times on this podcast, just the, uh, more, the, more often than not, this, this uh, idea of the ego. But I think too often it's kind of of course ego is can be a very detrimental thing um especially used in the wrong way but i think in times just kind of how you described that ego is necessary because it can equate to confidence and it can equate to bringing that little bit of bite especially in a competition aspect so it's not necessarily killing the ego but it's just knowing when to bring it out and then when to say okay it's time to set aside yeah, that's a super interesting concept that I'm still battling with today. I think we um, all are, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, about a year and a half ago, I read a book from uh, Ryan Holiday called Ego is the Enemy. And I read all of his books. Uh, he has Ego is the Enemy, The Obstacle is the Way. Uh, and there was one other one, I forget what it's Ryan called. Ryan Holiday, the baseball player? No. No, no. He's not. Okay, sorry. That's, is that Matt Holiday? Sorry, yeah. Yeah, I don't know much about baseball. So, <laughs> Who is Ryan Holiday? Is he, what is his... He's, He's an author. He's super stillness into stillness. Is um, the key? Yeah, stillness is the key, right? That that was the last one, mm-hmm. um, or he has more, but that, those were the three I read. Um, and he's super into stoicism and uh, right. philosophy. And um, I read a lot of his stuff. First, I read Marcus Aurelius and stuff mm-hmm. about stoicism, and then I got into his stuff. Um, and ego is the enemy. Was at a time when I just came to American accent. S. C. Verl. And um, I had come with like, um, obviously very small, this is uh, third division, so a small transfer fee, but that was kind of like a stigma. When you arrive at a club with a transfer fee, you make a bad pass, that's the first thing you hear as a joke, but these jokes kind of hurt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so um, that was uh, something I started reading when I felt like at the beginning of my time, I wasn't, I was a bit disappointing for, I wasn't playing as well as I would have liked to, um, especially during that adjustment period. And then I started reading this book and it was a way of kind of um, cheaply giving away the responsibility. So everything that I want, all the, all the things I want to achieve have to do with my ego when all of this actually doesn't matter is kind of the message that I got from it. And it helped me a lot. It took a lot mm-hmm. of pressure off in that time. And I got out of this rut and ended up having a really good end of season. And so I don't know if it's because of that or not. And so I thought like, okay, this idea of the ego is the enemy is really working for me. Okay, so I'm going to keep taking this. And 
last season, I felt there were moments where I was too nice because I was too step back. You know, it all doesn't matter. And I lost a little bit of this bite. And now I'm back to the point where, okay, how do you find once again, this balance? Because I do need the ego. I need the bite. I need to get on the field and be like, you know what? I don't care who's in front of me today. Like I'm going to score somehow or nothing's going to stop me from winning and stuff like that. And it's about me, me, me the whole time. So it's kind of anti-ego is the enemy. It, you know, uh, and, and so there's a, those are, there are these two conflicting views and I'm still trying to figure out what is, what is right and what's best for my career. Um, so the, the ego point is very, very interesting. Ego is sure. the enemy was a great book. I would recommend it to anyone. Um, and then make their own decision about how they deal with their own ego. It's yeah. eye-opening it not... in how much ego is involved in every single decision you make. I'm making that, a few notes here. Yeah. It's a dichotomy. I mean, I think certainly yeah. in professional sports is you have to control it. It's like there's times where it needs to come out. You know, it, yeah. you know, there's but there's times when it comes out, it's not good and it takes it it over it overwhelms you or takes control of you of yourself. Yeah was this weird dichotomy that yeah yeah like you said for at one point it was nothing and now you feel like oh you got to go the other way because you went too yeah. far in one direction yeah i'm an extremist in that sense i would like to have things black and white and i know they're often gray and so finding that balance is the hardest thing for me and in this case it's probably the hardest battle since uh since my career started like i recognize that none of this matters at the same time i want to succeed so bad Mm. ego no ego what's right uh and that's how that's yeah so what are the things that what is yeah (laughs) what are some of the things that kind of drive you in this game is it that will to succeed is it ambition is it facing challenges and you know overcoming them what are some of the things that really fulfill you in football um I mean, it's definitely ambition. I don't think I necessarily seek challenges to overcome them. If you could tell me right now, the route to success would be without challenges. I obviously know logically, like it wouldn't mean much because the challenges are kind of what makes it so nice in the end. But I would say, yeah, sure. Who the hell wants challenges? Um, if you could just have it nice the whole time. But um, yeah, it's ambition and this idea that uh, everyone has a feeling for how much potential they have in a certain thing or in, in their life. And the thing that scares me the most is not being able to reach that potential. And it's, it's, yeah, it's, uh, uh, I will be seeking this for the rest of my life because as soon as I reach somewhere near my potential, I'll start thinking my potential is even higher. Um, so it's like a vicious circle of sorts, but I don't, I haven't really been able to find any other point to life until now. So uh, I guess I'll just ride that wave until it probably gets unhealthy and then try to adjust. <laughs> <laughs> but it kind of, it kind of just seems like, I don't know if it's a more extreme way, but it just seems like a more detailed way of trusting the process in the same point, because the end goal is always adjusting. So really maybe it's you focusing on this process of the ambition of becoming better to reach that full potential it maybe it can seem like an end goal, but it seems like it's more about the process. Yeah, but there's, I think there's a difference. Um, trusting the process means that you trust hard work, that you're 
that you know why you're investing something. I think there's another viewpoint in, um, yeah, this idea of like the, 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 the way is the goal. Mm-hmm. And that's like enjoying the journey. That's a bit mm-hmm. different. Um, in that sense, you're not really, you're reaching for something almost undefined and just basking in this idea of making steps forward. Mm-hmm. And then trusting the process is kind of like with a defined goal in mind. That's kind of how I see it. And knowing that, okay, what I do day to day is getting me to this defined goal. Mm-hmm. It's funny so you I say think- that because, sorry to interrupt, we have an, a quote for that, that we kind of, I don't know how it came about, okay. but have a direction, not an endpoint. Like there yeah. is no endpoint. Yeah, you know? there, there shouldn't be. Because like you said, you're ever, you're ever adjusting it. And even if there was a, an endpoint when you got to this, quote unquote point, you would not be satisfied because of the point. Yes. It's it's what got you there that will ultimately make you satisfied and want will want you to to get more. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a forward original, isn't it? That is a forward original, I think. I mean someone probably said it, but yeah, of course. We we hope it we hope everyone uses it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I will gladly use that. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Um, I kind of want to transition here into your time in Holland. Um, just kind of how that came about. And then maybe some of the differences you saw in yourself, in the game there, tactically, how clubs were run, anything that really comes to mind. Yeah. Um, so how I got to Holland, uh, I was playing in Wattenscheid in the, Liga, and we played against Essen, who's quite a big club, and there are always a ton of scouts there. And actually, a scout from the Dutch club, Go Ahead Eagles, um, had noticed our left back, who, once again, fooled by randomness, actually had not been playing well. Uh, a right back started the game in his position as a left back, broke his leg after eight minutes. He came on as a left back, played really well, and got noticed by Go Ahead Eagles. And so they they came to the next game um, for this player, for the, for the left back. And um, I knew they were coming because I was close with this kid, and he told me that like you know he got interest from them. And uh, yeah, he's one of my he's still one of my good friends. So um, and uh, so I knew they were coming. And I remember once again, these mental games, I was like, dude, Holland, like, I would love to go there. What do I have to like, you know, I just have to show myself. I'd been standing out quite well the whole season. Um, and <laughs> once again, uh, just dumb luck, probably I scored a free kick and probably played my best game of the season in that game where they were there. And, um, and so then they wanted both of us. And then, you know, they, they did their homework. They came to every game until the end of the season. And we both signed there. And so we went to, we moved to the Netherlands to, uh, to this club, Go Ahead Eagles, which was, you know, for me, that was like a step up in terms of like profession, professionality, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they were in the second division at the time, but how much was invested in the club and the infrastructure uh, like if you think of it as a ratio of how much is inf- inf- invested in the club infrastructure to the players' salaries, um, 
it was much more lopsided in the infrastructure side as when you compare it to like a third division team where they probably pay much higher salaries but don't have the infrastructure we had in the second division in the Netherlands. Mm. And so that was interesting. Um, I mean, we worked really professionally. We had um, workouts, sprint workouts, everything dialed down to your, your, the values you put out during your testing period in preseason. So if you didn't come off, you didn't, if you didn't do enough, you know, your projected load for a training session, you had to stay after training and do runs. So it was like really dialed down to the meter. And so that was really cool to do because um, you kind of bask in this environment where like there's nothing to do but work hard. You know, it's all been taken over by our, and that at that time, our sports scientist and everything. And you just have to do what he tells you. So it's like a really nice thing. You don't have to, you can just give the responsibility to him and just blindly follow. And that was cool to see because that was the first time I, I was doing that. Even in Duisburg in the second division, they weren't doing that. They were miles away from doing that. Um, so that was interesting. The playing style was amazing. It was just, uh, you know, goals all over the place. It was great. Uh, I, I loved it. Um, and uh, what else can I say about it? Yeah, just infrastructure wise, we had a great like weight room at the stadium. Our training field was right next to the stadium. Like everything was in one spot. We used to spend the whole day there. Like we Mm -hmm. would show up at eight, me and this left back I was speaking about, and we would be the last ones gone. We would go home. We would leave the place at like 3 p.m. So we were doing stuff before training, training. Then we would have lunch with the team, play some ping pong. and then do a workout or something. It was, you know, it was really nice. Um, That's when I kind of had an unhealthy relationship to soccer in that um, I saw how much I was putting in and I wanted, I wanted, I needed results. And so if I had a bad game there, it was, I would fall into quite a hole where I was like, Mm -hmm. yeah, especially I I played well at the beginning, got some interest from bigger clubs. And so as soon as you get the feeling that you can lose something, this fear of losing something, is really a terrible thing. And I, I suffered from that. I probably wasn't ready to deal with that because I had never dealt with it before. Uh, when you hear that certain clubs are coming to see you and uh, all you have to do is keep playing at the level you've been playing at, but you kind of overthink it to the point where you're like, I can't drop this. Don't drop the ball. And as soon as you start thinking that neg- negative mm-hmm. way of don't mm-hmm. drop the ball, um, sorry, I got a call. Um, then you drop the ball. <laughs> And um, then Corona happened and I was injured anyway. Uh, So it's not really that I dropped the ball, but things kind of uh, went uh, a different way, but it was really a great experience. Um, Yeah. The second season I had trouble coming back from my injury. And so things were a bit slower, Um, but uh, I only have good things to say about that club. And the fans were amazing. The, The stadium was great. It was really, a good time. How did you kind of combat this or how did you get better at this flipping the negative or flipping this idea that you had a bad game and letting it affect you throughout a week? What kind of things did you use or, because I think a lot of us fall into this, especially when you watch games back too, it's very easy to think you played worse than you did because you think when you watch it, that the game has revolved around you, Mm -hmm. which I can be a good thing because you can constantly find ways to get better, but it can also be a harmful thing where you focus too much 
on the negatives and then have this overall, you know, kind of swayed look at, at what your game really was. So yeah, for sure. how did you approach that? Um, so I think, I think COVID had a lot to do with that. I had a lot of time to kind of recenter, so to speak, and um, figure out that it, that it wasn't everything, you know, mm-hmm. uh, going to a bigger club or being successful in soccer, that it wasn't everything I had or everything I needed. Uh, and so that was like that, recognizing that was huge. Um, accepting, goes back to what we spoke about at the beginning, accepting that maybe you do fail. Um, yeah, so that was kind of like being able to take a step back and not take everything so seriously is a bit like um, it makes everything much lighter. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also kind of what 11 Green is in a way. Or um, back then when I wanted to uh, do my master's here in Germany, it was a way to distract myself from only thinking about soccer. Um, and I, that's why I think that uh, doing stuff next to soccer is could actually be beneficial for certain people not for every person but for certain people it, it can be and i happen to fall in that category because like i said i'm an extremist i will go down the rabbit hole of figuring out every little detail i need to do uh to be ready on game day um and then when game day doesn't go well falling in that hole of like damn why are you doing all this questioning everything mm-hmm. So that was that was big, just taking a step back. I feel like that that's um, having having something next to to soccer is for for different people it's different things, but I think it's important for everyone. Um, just because uh, some people like you, you're you're we want to start your own business. Dylan and I did this. This is something we talked about for a long time, and then basically COVID made us pull the trigger on it, um, and we're we're very happy with it because conversations like this get our mind off of whatever we're doing with our team yeah and it kind of resets you it recenters you and it okay whatever phase we're going through right now isn't that big of a deal we've gone through this before we'll get over it and we're talking to someone here now who has spent time in the netherlands in germany is going through the same things as us so it's (laughs) you know this is nothing new um and i think that 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 helps and if people can find things to do next to whatever they're doing i think it helps even if it's a business, if it's doing something in the side will always help you clear your mind to maybe give you more energy and focus in your, your main job or your main purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like I said, that's exactly how I feel. I need that distraction. Hmm. I need, um, I need to, to, to lose kind of drop the importance of, uh, of, of soccer in that sense, or the dependence on soccer. Hmm. Um, I think there's a big there's a big uh, recognition too of separating your identity from your your from who you are as a player, and that's yeah. really hard. And I struggle with that still today because I value um, good players. So automatically you want to live up to that standard, and you or I tend to um, mix my identity and my my soccer playing identity too closely. So as soon as I was bad, my whole life was bad. Right. Um, and that's huge. And I think doing mm-hmm. something next to soccer kind of separates the two. Yeah. It's more space in between. Sure. I think also you said it right there. And I think another way to word it too, is we have this reflection on winning as a part of our 
of our own self and our own being. I don't know if that comes more from, from our, you know, American heritage and how we kind of view sports and competition. But I think that's another thing is to, to reflect that the winning does not define you in those moments, whether you win or you lose, it's very ideal to have a level head that you can come back to regardless of the outcome of a game. Yeah. Um, Sorry, my phone is going haywire. Yeah, um, finding the the middle ground too mm-hmm. was uh, a, I don't know. I can't tell you if it's a product of taking a step back or if that was conscious. But um, don't don't let your highs get too high because your lows will be even lower. Mm-hmm. And that was kind yeah. of also um, something I did when I deactivated my Instagram. I was I loved the praise. I really like in Holland, we had a lot of fans and I loved to praise the beginning, like first half of the season was crazy. And, but as soon as you love the praise, <laughs> you value the, the hate. Um, and that's, equally, that's, yeah, yeah, exactly. And so you have to be careful uh, what you listen to because mm-hmm. it'll go one day, it'll turn and it'll be negative and mm-hmm. you have to deal with that and you can't have it one way or the other. You either have it all or, or not at all. Um, either you can deal with the praise and the, the, the hate, or, uh, you just kind of shut off to those things. And I know for me, I'd rather just not read any of it. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I think, um, it's a perfect time to get into our fast feet, feet round. I think we could talk for hours. So I do hope you're up for, for a second round, maybe for sure in the next coming months or something like that. Yeah. Like, like I said at the beginning, I love hearing from other players as well and kind of getting your viewpoints and it's also cool to see like where it coincides where mm-hmm. other people have thought the same things and mm-hmm. i think it's also really way, cool. Also cool it's so cool that we've we kind of we don't know for sure but we definitely think that we've played all against <laughs> each other i think that's, yeah. a, that's a funny little we won, uh, revelation there. when's your birthday uh september 6 94 yeah it's minus yeah, 29 probably. so we you played with like our age and 95s right no, I played a year. Or did up. you play up? So then you played yeah. against Dylan for sure. Yeah, you played against me definitely. We probably got scraped by you guys in a few tournaments. <laughs> I, I don't know. We were we were pretty good until like uh, until Academy with NJSA mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. and then Red Bull mm-hmm. U eighteen. We were we were good. I'm but. sure we played at like a PDA or something like that. For sure. One of those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So we're gonna start with favorite player growing up and favorite player now uh growing up was Zidane big influence and uh uh now damn I thought that was uh back then or now okay it's and now <laughs> we can leave it <laughs> back then we don't want, we don't want to stress you out here. No, we don't want to stress you out <laughs> no no you're not stressing me out but this is actually a good question uh I have a lot of favorite players but um teacher throwing a pop quiz there yeah yeah for real <laughs> I um I don't play like him, so I'm disappointed with that. But uh, Marco Verratti is definitely mm. one of my favorite right nice. now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's nice to watch. Favorite moment in football? Uh, I have to say not getting relegated last season was such a relief. Uh, it was in my professional career probably, <laughs> it's kind of sad to say, one of my best achievements or one of my favorite moments. That pressure is something else, though. Yeah. That was that was something else because it has so many implications on many different levels mm. uh, for your for myself as an individual and also for the club and 
for your career, really. If, if I were yeah. to go back to fourth division, I know what it's like fighting out of fourth division. And mm-hmm. I didn't, I don't know if I would have had the energy and also being a few years older, if I would have, who knows? Yeah. If you mm-hmm. get back out or, yeah. Exactly. Most difficult moment? Uh, my first six months in Germany. Best advice you ever received? Um, I don't even know if I received this advice, but I would say just learn from everything. Hmm. I, thought, I thought you were going to throw a curveball and say uh, have a direction, not an angle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Damn. That would have been that. really funny. That would have stroked the ego for sure. Um, favorite place you've lived? Um, as you can tell, I've been busy the past few days and skimmed your questions and didn't really think of concrete <laughs> answers. It's good, though. It puts you a little more on the spot. Um, oh, Wilmington, North Carolina. Mm. Nice. Sounds nice. College Fair. Park, College Park, Maryland was good, too. Uh, I can tell that. Yeah. Favorite place to travel? Uh, France. South of France. Any specific South of France. Or, South of France or Paris. Okay. Mm-hmm. Kind of a cop out, but yeah. Love that though. Best player you've played against? Um, well, we played against Dortmund a few weeks ago. Uh, Marco Royce or Mats Hummels was unreal in that game. And he really? gets a lot of hate, but he is... In terms of like a playmaking center back, he's one of the best. Doesn't he? Have, he has like the most the most um, successful passes into the final third or something like that as a Probably. center back. I think it wouldn't like surprise that. me. What stood yeah. out most in the game? What's what? What stood out to you the most? Um, how explosive Dortmund was. Like you see these guys like uh, Mo Dahoud. You think mm-hmm. he's like just some skinny Turkish-looking German player? He is actually like physically a beast and i'm talking about not um not uh the 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 the, i don't know the most muscular guy Mm -hmm. or the the one who runs the most but everything is done at 100 percent. so they're either sprinting or standing and they are so explosive all of those guys that was the most impressive thing and the movement off the ball it was it was tough for us but it was nice to watch yeah I played, uh, we played Leverkusen in the uh, Pokal a few, two years ago now, and kind of the same thing. It just felt like at some point, everyone was just in sync and knew where to move. And then you have guys like, you know, Florian Wirtz or Diaby, who just was the fastest player I've ever seen. And then you kind of, it's just cool to see what level it can be at. Yeah, that's another, I mean, Leverkusen's up there too. We played um, a few weeks ago against Schalke, who just oh, got yeah. promoted back in the first mm-hmm. division. They're just a big club though, so you would assume they could get some players that were, mm-hmm. and I, it wasn't as impressive. I mean, we've played against Bundesliga teams before and it's always actually quite close. Dortmund was a different world. And that was the first mm-hmm. time where I really saw, uh, damn, yeah. that is a different yeah, Levels, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, really. Best player you've ever played with? Um, kind of a cheating answer because he technically we weren't on the same team, but I trained with Thierry Henry a few times back in my uh, youth Red Bull mm-hmm. days. And now we're gonna take that. Yeah, yeah. but I, I have to say one underrated. Nobody's ever heard of him probably, but uh, I played with him in Duisburg. 
we're the same age and he's unreal is uh, Fabian Schnellhardt plays in Darmstadt now. And I mean, the, the things this guy was doing in training as a midfielder, as someone who not necessarily dribbles through everyone, but the things he sees is, is just impressive. Um, and he's maybe done the wrong things off the field that haven't really given him the career he should have had, but he's still a great player. If you weren't a footballer, what would you be? An engineer. Yeah. <laughs> a business owner. Yeah. Favorite book? Yeah. Um, that's tough. I've read a whole lot of uh, books in varying themes. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to say the books from uh, Nassim Taleb, uh, Fooled by Randomness, I mentioned earlier, was great. Um, mm-hmm. The Black Swan was great. Kind of like um, related to the markets, uh, the financial markets, but also just in life, stuff like that. Uh, I would recommend all of his books, to be honest. Um, and then, yeah, Robert Greene has some good ones too, the 48 Laws 48 of Power. power. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even better than the 48 Laws of Power was uh, Mastery. That was a book that really mm-hmm. struck me. Uh, kind of talks about all these different people and all, everything they did or all the time they invested to becoming masters of their craft. Um, and that was amazing. Like this idea that the time you put in this ratio of invested time to what you get out can be pretty close to one-to-one is encouraging to see. Mm-hmm. Wow. I love that. We have a little list on our website too. That's like book rem- recommendations. So we love to add these on. And I think we've had like, I think you've name dropped like seven or eight books. So it's Easily. fantastic for yeah. us, for me personally too, because there's yeah. a few Obviously, I thought the one guy was a baseball player, so those ones, <laughs> those those ones need to be read. You ASAP, can you, you can know? give him a you can give him a follow on Twitter and Instagram. He posts some like corny looking videos where he, um, very enthusiastically explains some s- sort of stoic idea, mm-hmm. but it's quite okay. educational. He's on a few podcasts as well. He's uh, used to work a lot with Robert Green, who's actually a fascinating person probably more fascinating than ryan holiday in my opinion you ever hear the the book i have it right here but i don't want to post it on the 50th law uh with 50 cent right yeah it was like yeah his, i didn't read his it twists on i have it right there uh on the 48th law it's very very interesting read okay i just you know i i uh, this is very terrible of me but i hear it's with 50 cent and i yeah. i'm just like i mean to be honest i kind of felt to his career thing, yeah. i thought this like, exact same what, thing what can be so no but i yeah. might yeah then i'll have to have it a was look. uh i haven't read it in a long time i must say but i've never read the 48th law or the 48 laws mm-hmm. so um it's probably i don't know which one you should read first <laughs> for me it was very interesting because i never heard a lot of the concepts in this but maybe reading uh Brian or Robert Greene's book first might change your opinion on it. Um, any quote that you live by? Take the risk or lose the chance. Ooh, love that. Came prepared oh, on that one too. I like that. Uh, it's yeah. just my phone background. <laughs> there you go. Perfect. Like I said, I feel like we could go for hours. And uh, honestly, we feel like you could probably have your own podcast too. So there's something you might have to think about there yeah but, um, i think i would just repeat myself the whole time <laughs> you'd be surprised you'd be surprised yeah sometimes yeah. you just find different ways to say the same things too so <laughs> it's just about reaching um but seriously we want to thank you for taking the time yeah. um we're going to be following along with your career obviously 
um, and kind of putting anyone we can onto 11 green. We think it's such an amazing thing and, you know, hopefully we can all get involved in the future and yeah, yeah. thanks a lot. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And, uh, obviously thanks for providing the platform. Um, yeah, obviously all the best for this season and uh, with the podcast, like I said, I'll be following along. So I'm eager to see where you guys take it and how big it can, it can get. So cool to meet and talk with someone who's, who's, um, you know, followed a bit of a similar path, but also kind of taken it even a step uh, higher than us in terms of leagues and stuff. And just being able to take a lot of the things on a personal level from what he says, um, things like meditation, ego. I mean, I think he did such a great job of putting some of these things into words and being able to describe them. It was very, I mean, I just like, to bring it down to a personal level, I think I got so much from this episode. Um, just learning to internalize things like this, seeing how someone else, else approaches the game mentally, um, I got a lot out of, I can't wait for the part two. Honestly, that's one of the, my favorite episodes that I think we've recorded in a long time. And yeah, man, it, it, it gets me, it gives me hyped just with, with footwork and, you know, the stories we're bringing to you guys and the people we're meeting ourselves. Um, yeah. I really enjoyed that one. Yeah. Did all that. It just, uh, it gives motivation to continue to do this. Not like we ever think we're going to stop, but it's just like, this is awesome that we, yeah, just that we do this things and in a different way. Yeah. Are able to, to meet these people who have mm -hmm. uh, different paths and whatever career they are is obviously very similar to ours, just at uh, a higher level. And yeah, just, uh, he's very good at articulating his thoughts. Exactly. Yeah, he is. And, and I, I enjoyed it. Very that. nice to see. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's good to, I think with a lot of these guests, we learn just different ways to approach things. So different ways to handle certain situations or just to get how one person may handle it. So for him, I mean, I think one of the things that I kind of related with him is this thing on game day too, not putting so much stress on this game day, because I think putting that unnecessary pressure may create this too high of, or too risk of a risky of a scenario where there's, you know, fail or succeed and it doesn't have to be like that it doesn't have to be so tops attorney you know it, yeah. we find our way through the balance and that was another thing is so many of these things we talked about today the stress was how can i find a balance in this how can i take areas of this i think he was very good at knowing when he didn't do something well so when he you know wasn't playing he was he he didn't handle that situation well as a captain and he kind of could reflect on that. And I think that's a very important thing for us to do is that kind of, you know, we bring it back to Jocko sometimes too. And that, that ownership of just knowing maybe when you made a mistake and you know, yeah, you made it and we don't have to think on it forever, but let's bring it into the next opportunity so that it doesn't happen again. And I learn and I become better. All right, exactly. I'm looking, looking, looking forward to the to the round two of that because yeah, me was, too. Uh, there was so much we could have continued on. Absolutely. Besides but, that, I mean, keep yeah. up that free support. Free support. I love that game. shit. Um, so funny when guests ask uh, if they can curse, and we're like, yes, curse. 
Um, say yeah, it with please. your chest. <laughs> <laughs> say it with your chest. Um, don't hold it in. Yeah, keep it on. Keep all that support going, guys. We really appreciate it. Make sure you sign up for the newsletter. New thing coming. Um, new merch coming. We say that, but these things take time, and the rollout will be worth it. We promise. Yeah. And yeah, just make sure you join the club, footwork.club. If you're an aspiring player, make sure you join the club. Sign up for a free consultation. Literally just had two today. So, you know, guys are taking advantage of it. And again, he said it himself too. Just from talking in business meetings, you may not have anything. We may not have anything that we can give you. We not, may not be able to put anything on a silver platter. We may, may know someone who knows someone. We may be able to talk about a certain way that may be able for you to reflect on it in a certain way things get done with conversation so we hope you guys take advantage of that and yeah i'm blabbering here but just support us it's cool yeah. footwork 2022 there you go until next time keep moving forward keep learning and make your own path Footwork is sponsored by ourselves and great companies such as Kong Fitness. But we love to partner with new brands to make their own paths, so get in touch if you must. Footwork.club, the official footwork website is now live, so make sure you go join the club and check out all the new content and all the new features. Find us on YouTube at Footwork Podcast. You better like and subscribe while you're there. If not, I don't know what's done. Find us on Instagram at Footwork underscore podcast. Great time there. Twitter at Footwork Podcast. TikTok at Footwork Podcast, where we like to post dance videos those are great but more importantly amazing content for any dream chasers out there plug plug pass tell your friends your enemies your mother your brother your sister your pastor it doesn't matter who tell the mailman your dog anybody that can listen like subscribe review because all of that helps while you're there we'll take whatever we can get to join the club join the club he messed me up i mean he can just he can just mash it together so it's fine (laughs) 